This podcast is a ministry of Trinity Baptist Church in Jonesboro, Tennessee. Trinity Baptist Church exists to exalt God in worship, to equip disciples, and to evangelize the lost. For more information about our church, just visit our website at trinity3e.org. Well, I'd like to ask you if you have your copy of God's Word to please open it to the book of Genesis, chapter 21. This morning, we will put before our eyes and hearts verses 8 through 21. As you're turning there, I just wanted to give you an update uh, from a request I asked you to pray for. Two weeks ago, I just asked you to be praying for some decisions that will be made on a state level regarding the amount of funding that Emma receives. We still have heard absolutely nothing. Uh, So please keep praying. It's kind of that situation of hurry up and wait. Uh, So we're still waiting. So please continue in your prayers. Uh, Emma's getting over a little bit of an infection, but doing much better than she was even a week ago. So just still seeing those small movements, small signs of awareness. Uh, So thank you for your continued prayers. Believe it or not, we are approaching the end of the Abraham narrative. Uh, We really have today and then two more Sundays that we'll be taking a look at the life of Abraham asking you, Lord... What do you have for us in the life of this patriarch, this one who has gone before us? This morning we see a little bit of the aftermath of the birth of Isaac. Last week we looked at the joy of a promise fulfilled. Now we look at the pain of looking at the past. Follow with me as I read verses 8 through 21 in Genesis chapter 21. And the child, that is Isaac grew and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, laughing. So she said to Abraham, Cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. And the thing was Very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. But God said to Abraham, Be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you. For through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also. Because he is your offspring. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder along with the child, and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water and the skin was gone, she put the child under one of the bushes. Then she went and sat down opposite him a good way off, about the distance of a bow shot, For she said, let me not look on the death of the child. And as she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the boy. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up. Lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. 
Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. And she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy, and he grew up. He lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bow. He lived in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. May God be glorified in the reading and hearing of his word this morning. In 2004, the film Napoleon Dynamite was released. Now, this movie has become a cult classic. And the best way I could describe it, if you have seen it or not seen it, is with this one adjective, quirky. It's just a weird movie. It's filled with a, a quirky story, and it's got quirky characters. But perhaps the most quirky character, other than the main character, Napoleon Dynamite, is his Uncle Rico. You see, Uncle Rico is continually living in the past. In fact, there's one scene after he has thrown a piece of steak and hit Napoleon Dynamite square in the face with it. He sits down with Napoleon's brother Kip, and he begins reminiscing about the past. Kip, if the coach had put me in in the fourth quarter, we would have been state champions. No doubt about it. And you better believe things would have been different. I'd have gone pro. Making millions of dollars, living in a big old mansion somewhere, soaking in a hot tub with my soulmate. Then he starts to talk, about Kip, talk to Kip about time travel. Wanting to go back. Wanting to change the past. See, looking back is always a mixture, isn't it? We look back sometimes with a, a fond nostalgia for how things were, but there are also times that we look back with a deep sense of regret. An article in Psychology Today says that regret is the second most common emotion people mention in daily life. And it's the most common negative emotion that is mentioned. In fact, research has shown that even as young as the age of two, people start to experience and express regret. If only becomes a common thought. If only this hadn't happened. If only I hadn't done this. If only I had taken this job. If only I had dated this person. And it begins us on a path of trying to rewrite history in our heads rather than living the life that God has for us now. We can experience regret for many things, things done and things left undone. That's where Sarah is. She's looking at the past, but at the same time looking forward. And it happens in a very interesting place. It's a celebration. Verse 8 sets the context. The child Isaac grew and was weaned. And then Abraham throws this huge celebration. Now, the weaning of the child would have taken place in that culture when the child was around two or even three years old. And the reason for the celebration is because of the high mortality rate. The fact your child has lived to be three years old and is being weaned was reason to celebrate. They have survived. So in the midst of this party, as they're celebrating, you can see it. Man, the barbecue's going over here. The kids are playing over here. And that's where the problem starts. The kids are playing. Because Sarah looks 
and she sees Ishmael. Ishmael would have been around 15 years old at this time. And it tells us in verse 9 that she sees the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, and the son is laughing. Now, there's debate among scholars about what is meant by the term laughing. Some say that it's the laughter of play, that simply all this 15-year-old is doing is playing with his half-brother. If the brother's three, they may be roughhousing a little bit like, like brothers do, and that's a possibility. Others see in the word laughing the word mocking. That it's very possible that Ishmael was mocking this, this little three-year-old for some reason. But either way, when Sarah sees Ishmael, it brings up these memories. Fifteen years of regret. Because I would remind you that fifteen years prior to this moment, Sarah hatched a scheme. You see, the promise of God had come. You're going to have a child. But to this point, there had been no hints that she was pregnant. So she develops this plan that she presents to Abraham. And Abraham agrees. Abraham, I'll give you my, my maidservant, my lady-in-waiting, Hagar. And you'll have a son or a child by her. And that child will be considered ours. And that child will become the one that will carry on the promise. Now, she stepped way out of the line of God's will with this. Abraham did also because he went along with it. There is no mention of prayer, no mention of faith. This is simply devising a plan. And the plan is outside of God's will. And Hagar is a victim in all this. I would remind you, she's powerless. She's a slave. She has no power to say no. She has no voice that is heard. And she becomes pregnant. And Hagar despises Sarah because of what has been forced upon her. So by divine intervention in chapter 16, Hagar remains under the care of Abraham. And for 15 years, I believe that a fire had been smoldering in Sarah's heart. A fire that at this point erupts into a blaze. Because of this, when the past comes back, it shows up wearing fear, anger, and confusion. Look at the fear that surfaces with Sarah. Cast out the slave woman with her son. In other words, kick them out. For this slave woman shall not be the heir with my son Isaac. This is fear of the future. In other words, her decision in the past is now causing her to be fearful of what the future may look like. She's afraid of the ramifications of a past decision. Even though it was 15 years ago, she now looks toward the future thinking, you know, that decision that I made 15 years ago could come back to haunt not only me, but my children. And so she's afraid. That's what the past does. It can cause us fear of what might be. Fear of what the ramifications will indeed be. Fear maybe even that someone would find out. As odd as it seems, history tells us that the great author, um, Arthur Conan Doyle, the one who developed and wrote about Sherlock Holmes, was a great practical joker. It said that at one time he sent a telegram to 12 of his friends, 12 friends that were influential, and the telegram simply said, flee at once. The secret is discovered. And it's said that within 24 hours, all 12 of his friends had left the country. The past had been discovered. Fear. And you know what usually accompanies fear? Anger. 
can hear the anger, almost the, the disgust in her voice. Cast her out. And notice how she refers to Hagar, not by name, this slave woman with her son. For the son of this slave woman. She doesn't even call Hagar by name. This is anger that is bubbling over. Because one of the things that anger does. Is that it depersonalizes the object of our hate. Because now Hagar is not a person. She's an object. She's a slave woman. It's easier to say throw that slave woman out. Than to say throw Hagar out. That's why we depersonalize those, often, those whom we disagree with or classify as our enemies. They become them or those people. Because to call them by name would recognize that they are just that. They are people. We may disagree with them, but they have dreams. They have hopes. They have hurts. And anger bubbles forth. And in the end... Anger will always be destructive. It feels good to kindle it for a moment because we begin to feel self-righteous. I no doubt that Sarah had an element of self-righteousness in her thinking like, like gee, is not going to interfere with God's plan. No, no, I made a mistake 15 years ago, but it stops now. Get them out of here. Get that slave woman out. It bubbles over and it ends up being destructive. Did you know that World War II ended 77 years ago, but unexploded bombs and landmines are still being discovered in Europe today? And the longer they go without being found and disarmed, the more volatile they become. That's a picture of anger. Anger buried will eventually in some way, in some form, explode. And it's ugly when it does. That's where Sarah is. And the result is confusion. You see this with Abraham in verse 11. It's displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. And his son here is a reference to Ishmael. Abraham loves Ishmael for 15 years. He's been with his son. And you can picture them out hunting together. Abraham teaching him how to do things. And now he's told, get the boy out of here. And Abraham's caught in between. Sarah and Isaac on one hand, Hagar and Ishmael on the other. What does he do? See, that's often where people find ourselves. We either find ourselves, one, if we are carrying around regret, fear, and anger, we're often confused on what to do. We don't know how to be free of the past, and it causes us to be cloudy in the present. Or if you are trying to love someone who is being shackled by the past, it's confusing to know what to do to show them. What can we do to help them move along? So now we come to the question, what can be done? And that's where we start with the good news. The good news is this, that God intervenes. You see this in verses 12 and 13, as well as verses 17 through 21. God intervenes supernaturally. He intervenes one with Abraham to say, you go ahead and send them out. I will take care of them. And I love the promise in verse 13. He says, okay, Isaac's going to be the heir. The promise will be fulfilled through him. But I'm also going to make a great nation of Ishmael. Why? Because he is your offspring. 
Because of his connection with you, I will bless him. And in my mind, I think, what a wonderful picture of the gospel. Because you know how we are blessed? We are blessed because of our connection with the Son of God. We are blessed because of Christ, because of who he is. It's a reminder that God intervenes to redeem the past and to build the future. I love that word redeem. It's a great gospel word. And it's a word that we often read over without thinking. Redeem means to buy back or trade in. Now, this shows my age, but I think many of you will resonate with this. And for those who have no idea what I'm talking about, hopefully this will be an educational moment. When I think of redeem, I go back to two things. On the left, I remember growing up with Coke bottles that were one liter that we would keep. Mom would take them in and redeem them, take these empty bottles in and redeem them for maybe a nickel or a dime. On the right are the S and H green stamps. Some of you remember. Ah, the good old days. Talk about nostalgia. You collect the stamps, you get your book filled, you go in and you redeem the stamps for, for, for basically prizes. That's redemption. You take these things that are empty, you take in paper stamps, and you get something in return. That's the idea of redeem. God offers us the chance of redemption. We bring God our sin, our shame, and our regret, and God redeems them for righteousness, beauty, and hope. That's redemption. Now, I want to be clear on something. As we talk about redemption... I don't want to paint a picture that, okay, I give the regret to God and all those things just go away automatically. There are still consequences. It doesn't erase the effects of bad decisions we may have made. It would be great if that were true. God forgave David. But the consequences of his sin with Bathsheba were there and Uriah was still dead. It doesn't mean that God doesn't redeem. One of the beautiful pictures in the gospel occurs at the end of the gospel of John. Jesus is standing on the edge of the Sea of Galilee talking to Peter. And John includes an interesting detail. Jesus had cooked breakfast over a charcoal fire. That's an odd detail to include. What type of fire? Until you realize that the only other time in the New Testament that a charcoal fire is mentioned is when Peter is standing outside the house of the high priest warming himself. And he's asked three times, aren't you one of the disciples? And as he is warming his hands over that charcoal fire, Peter three times says no. I think he's showing a connection here because in one charcoal fire, Peter denies Jesus. Over the other charcoal fire, Peter offers, is offered redemption. Don't you think that when he smelled the scent of those charcoals burning, his mind goes back and he's face to face with the one that he just... Don't you think Peter had regret? How could I have done that? But yet Jesus looks at him in that moment and says, Simon Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. That's redemption. That is what God promises to us. Yes, we may still in our minds go there, but that's where we go forward then in saying, Lord, you bring redemption. Lord, you take this pain and bring healing. Lord, let my eyes look forward and not always behind me. And that means that we have to practice 
confessing the regret and the pain. Now, it's clear that Hagar calls out to God, verses 16b and 17. And even the boy, Hagar calls out. She's weeping unto the Lord. God says he hears the voice of the boy, implying that the Ishmael was crying out. I personally believe that Abraham is also calling out. In the midst of his confusion, God answers him and says, Here, Abraham, here's the plan. I think in both instances, you have people that are, are at their ropes, at the end of the rope, calling out unto God. Bearing the pain and the regret never helps. It will always work its way to the surface in some way. I like the words of a song written by a man by the name of Stephen Taylor when he said, Sin is like a book you put on the shelf. Unless you take it down, you can never live with yourself. You've got to deal with it. To acknowledge. Okay. Maybe I didn't make the best decision there, but let's move forward. And even when we are wronged, healing comes as we talk about it and deal with it. It's saying, Lord, I acknowledge. Things may not be the way they should have been. I may have made mistakes, but Lord, be redemptive. And I think even learning to talk with one another about this. Because the truth is, all of us have regrets. Things we look back on and wish we would have done differently. Healing comes in recognizing that. And if you are the one that a, a fellow believer comes to and says, you know, I'm carrying this heavy burden, listen to them and remind them of the gospel. Remind them of hope. One of the worst things we can do sometimes is to go, whoa, you really did that? <laughs> no. Point them to our great Savior. And then... Learn. Learn from those past regrets. Learn. While we may not be able to change the past, and we can't, we can learn and even help others along the way. John Claypool is a great writer and preacher. His family's from Kentucky. In fact, there's a farm the Claypool family has owned for six generations. A few years ago, a storm blew through Kentucky and blew over an old pear tree. And when I say old, this was a pear tree that had seen generations of clay pools. John's grandfather was out looking at the tree when a neighbor came over and said, Sorry about your pear tree. What do you think you're going to do with it? The grandfather said, Well, I think we'll pick the fruit that we can and then we'll burn what's left. We'll pick the fruit and we'll burn what's left. There's a point in our lives we have to do that. Let's learn, but let's not live there. I find it interesting that in this narrative, both Abraham and Hagar heard from God. But you know who didn't? Sarah. There's no mention of Sarah hearing from the Lord in any way. In fact, after this, the next time Sarah is mentioned is at her death. I can't help but wonder, did she go to her grave with fear and anger because Ishmael was still alive? And it plagued her all of her days. Brothers and sisters, that's tragic. That is tragic. But those who called out to the Lord heard from him. 
And I believe discovered redemption. So the question is, what will we do with this pain from the past? Would you bow with me right now? Father, all of us stand before you acknowledging that we have not done everything right. Lord, the enemy tries to he tries to work in our minds so that we will continually focus on what was rather than seeing your hand in the present. So Lord, I ask you to help us. Help us to experience your redemption. Help us to remember that those things we look back upon with regret, you are weaving together to work for good. We may not see it how now, but Lord, we believe you're at work. And so this morning, Lord, I pray. I pray for my brothers and sisters as I pray for myself. Lord, I pray that we will glory in the gospel that brings redemption. Open our eyes to this truth in the name of Jesus. Amen.